0: Welcome, you are now tuned in to Real Estate Investing Women podcast. Laura and myself, Liz, are a mother-daughter team that has a combination of lifetime experience, as Laura has over 33 years of experience in the real estate investing business, but also with a modern vision and approach by myself, Liz, a newer investor of five years. Combined, we created a winning formula. We are dedicated to empowering women as they start the real estate investing journey by offering a supportive community of like-minded women, up-to-date training and strategies, and showing you how to build a real estate investing business of your dreams around your lifestyle we are going to share with you the real deal as it comes to real estate investing. So listen in and today we will address a specific topic and answer your burning real estate investing questions. Be sure to email in your questions to be featured at questions at realestateinvestingwomen.com. Let's get started.
1: hey well welcome everybody uh today we have an amazing episode here with uh, two i would say trailblazers in the industry when it comes to real estate and marketing uh, and one of the things that we need to notice here is kind of the elephant in the room right real estate is really changing and technology and understanding what's going on in the, in the marketing world when it comes to technology and data it's really the basic foundation so that you know what to do. All, gone are the old ways of just throwing out there something and see if it sticks and maybe it doesn't. There are ways that you can do this better. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So thank you, Halissa and Erica. And uh, where are you presently located? So right
2: now I'm actually in our Miami office. So oh. I am in, yeah, in our Miami office. Like, yeah,
1: that's <laughs> right. Okay, so you're not too far from me. Great. Okay, where are you? You're in Florida too? Yeah, I'm in near for Lauderdale. Oh yeah,
2: that's
1: me. So just up the street from you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Erica, I'm
3: in the New York office. So our office is um in NoMad Koreatown area. Um, and this is our this was our first office. We um actually. Started here in um, 2021, um, so that's when we signed the lease. It was a, uh, it was an interesting time. It was like still during the COVID area era. So we, but we were very bullish on having an office space because our team was growing um, and we were getting a lot of opportunities because of actually exactly what you were saying um, in the sense that. Technology and data started driving major changes in the real in the in real estate marketing and sales, and so our team was growing and we needed a space. So I'm in our New York office. Awesome. <laughs> and-,
1: and COVID was actually a time that opened up the eyes of a lot of uh, investors. Right, that if you wanted to make it through it and thrive, you had to reinvent how you do business. So it was even for us, it's where we really went virtual in everything that we're doing. So yeah. great.
0: Yeah, Tell us a little bit about your life before real estate and what really led your background to prepare you for real estate. What got you into what you guys are doing now? What you ladies are doing now?
1: Yeah, let's mm-hmm. start with Alyssa. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. Um so I actually am an attorney by trade. So I went to New York at 22 to attend New York Law School because specifically I have a real estate program.
1: I was always interested in
2: either going into the transaction or litigation. And when I graduated as life would have it, it was a pretty challenging time to get a job. So while I was studying for the bar exam, I started to sell real estate and it it ended up being quite good at it. So I sold for six months at Element before I got a little bit bored. And then the real, you know, I guess pivotal moment is I went into the world of new development and specifically pre-planning. So I worked under this incredible woman, her name is Hylian Krasnow, and I learned the art of how to consult advise a developer from the moment that they get the land all the way through the, you know, sales and marketing process. And um, so I did that for a few years, I understood, you know, floor plans, ff pre-planning, you know, how you stack plumbing pipes, everything. Um, and it was an incredible experience. And it also, though, paved the way to what I didn't know at the time would be My future career, which is opening DMT, because of that process and you know my experience in it. And besides that, I sold real estate in Manhattan for a total of eleven years before um, before becoming a principal of the brokerage company.
1: Great, and Erica. Um, so I
3: kind of came into real estate in more of a roundabout way. Um, I, when I was in college, I studied urban studies, um, which was like way more of a focus on urban development and urban planning. Um, I also kind of did a minor in consumer psychology because I was really interested in the science behind marketing, specifically consumer psychology and, um, how, uh, behavioral psychology, it uh, affects buyer journeys and um, consumer decisions. Um, and after I graduated, I actually moved to France and I was a teacher. So I um, did, did that and then I moved to Australia um, and I ended up finding working at a marketing agency that specialized in property and that kind of started my real estate journey Um, What was interesting to me, though, is that they were it it was a company called Social Garden, and they were really using the data that was being created in the digital space to do high quality lead generation um, and buyer targeting for property in Australia. So I, I learned a lot of the technical tools um, on how to uh, weaponize that data that's being created and applied my love and knowledge of science and marketing um, to the real estate space. I was there for four years, and then I made the decision to move back to the U.S. Um, I knew I wanted to do marketing in this capacity in the, in the U.S., and so I came back to New York. Um, I had met Alyssa because she was an agent at Compass and she was already driving. uh, She was already at the forefront of digital trends. She was utilizing social media, Snapchat, Instagram, in order to connect with buyers directly as well as agents directly. Um, And so I actually started a a marketing agency called Snap Listings that focused on um, direct buyer, direct agent Um, communication via digital channels. Alyssa was um, one of the uh, agents I worked with. And then when she started getting really deep on the new development side, my marketing agency um, worked with her on new developments. And what we found was that when we uh, integrated the marketing and the sales, um, that was where the true power came from. So we started development marketing team, which uh, marries the art of brokering and the science of marketing. I was
1: good. Well, well since, awesome. uh, since we're talking about real estate uh, developments, uh, what, um, what some of the most successful um, enterprises or developments have you done? And uh, what do you think was the factor that contributed to their success?
2: That's a great question. Um, I we have a lot of incredible success stories in different in different ways, but I think that I want to like kind of high level of the success that we've seen is that this idea of integrating like Erica mentioned, you know, the marketing side and the sales side and bringing it all in house and then creating this these incredible tools right we have a toolkit that we created specifically using the digital space and the capturing of data and using the data to actually make the decisions behind the marketing strategy and the sales strategy is really where the success is that's where our success lies right so um, what i feel like one of our best biggest success stories up is um, we took over a project with 15 units on roosevelt island called island house And this was really the first time Erica and I were going out on our own. And I I don't know how familiar you are with New York, but Roosevelt Island is um, unknown, let's say. It's a location that is extremely challenging because it's not, you know, it's not kind of the first neighborhood you think about. People may have heard of it, but they don't know. It had like, you know, a connotation around it when we took over. So we're like, how are we going to be able to take 15 three bedroom units on this unknown island in a difficult market, because at the time the market was extremely challenging. I believe this was like 2017, 2018, the market was already starting to change in Manhattan. And we quickly realized like when applying our lead gen sources and applying, you know, um, the creative agency to identify the target market and then change the marketing so that we are educating the consumer on this specific location, we were able to at the time we took over, the, the island itself hadn't seen one sale in 12 months. We sold all 13 units, or 13 to 15 units. I don't really remember at this moment. We sold them all within the first year, and we did it without negotiating a single price. Okay. And it was unheard of. And we did that over and over actually. And we took over, we actually launched a second project on Rose Valley, 360 units, same developer, and we're doing the same thing right now called Westview. And it's really the most successful project I've seen on the market only because of the absorption, but also because of the negotiability, right? We have basically zero negotiability to maybe a 0.5%. And we've been able to increase pricing slowly over the years, on average 10%. And um, we're continuously at a really healthy absorption rate. Again, in an unknown island, it's a very challenging building, it's an occupied conversion, it's on a land lease, anything you could possibly ask for in your development to be a challenge. We have it there, so for us, it is our baby. It is our success story. It's what you know really proved proved us that our theory was you know the, the key to success and the secret sauce in a, the new development world, especially in today's market with the digital tools that we have. Um, and then later, we we've, we've seen a lot of success in being able to take that back end system, bring it down to South Florida into some of the most prominent projects, plug into the back end and power them white label ourselves and power the entire sales and marketing process and that's that is where we are right now in our very short three-year evolution of what is dmt
0: wow you've done a lot that's
1: amazing (laughs) pretty impressive really
0: (laughs) yeah yeah no that's good that's good right it's very cool to see that let alone seeing women do it and so because as you can see it's you don't see a lot of women doing the kind of things we're doing right so it's cool to see and see that like happening and so how do you approach financing for your development projects do you have any tips for investors looking to do finance their own
3: projects so we are what uh, the kind of the where we jump in is usually where our when our developers already have secured their financing or are in the process of it however one of the tools that we have developed to help our developers um, support the underwriting and to give confidence to their lenders on the financing side is a tool that we've developed called social listening. And what social listening is is we actually say, okay, this is what you want. This is the what you want to bring to market. Let's say it's you know easy numbers. It's 100 units um, condos. It's going to be in this location. Um, this price point is what you're underwriting for. What we'll do is we can then test the market and we'll use our tool called social listening to say, okay, well, there is a market for that type of product here and we are already seeing early demand. And so what we can, and in addition to that, we can also test some of the, finishes or the um, exterior decisions that are being made so that as the uh, developer is going you know, to the lender, they can say, hey, we know that this project is going to be successful. We're more confident that this project is going to be successful because we have data to prove it. And it's not just data that's based off of um, previous h- historical, which is very important and very relevant. And it's not just data that's based off of comps, but it's actually data that's been generated for this future in real time. So it's in real time and it's for future looking, it's, it's a future looking data set. So that's kind of a tool that we've developed to help our developers uh, be more confident in securing their funding and um, working with their lenders.
1: Great. Um, so, you know, working so closely with developers. So what do you see some of the trends or areas of opportunity here in the near future?
2: In with what with what respects in development as a whole or as like yeah in development, right? And
1: what is happening in there that we're talking, you know, um not just a single family residential no, we size do talk to that. right right mm-hmm. we're talking more on a bigger scale so what areas of opportunity mm-hmm. where should people really pay attention to as an investor you know if they want to invest mm-hmm. with uh, these opportunities or even as a developer the
2: new development landscape right now is is a really interesting one in, I, I think we'll I'll back up. We are very fortunate to be able to be in both markets that are kind of like the hot markets in the U.S., right? We are in Miami in, or South Florida, I'm sorry, and we're in New York. And for the first time, there is synchronicity between those markets in terms of buyers, but the new development landscape in those markets is extremely different. You're seeing in New York right now that the new development world is, I would, let, I would say a little stagnant. If you compare the new product coming out now compared to... 15, 16, 17, there's, there's very little inventory when compared to new, like the pipeline of new projects. And I think that has to do with a lot of factors that have happened in Manhattan, like the 421A, like just the, you know, the ability to go into a land deal at a certain, at a certain basis where you're not gonna have to sell 2,500 or 3,000 a foot. Um, So I think that there is going to be, If there is new developments, you're seeing them be a lot more boutique right now in Manhattan, which I think is great. I think that's an opportunity for investors. I think that um, overall though, I would say that Brooklyn has done incredibly well throughout the years. It has continuously outpaced Manhattan in terms of growth. And I do think that there's still neighborhoods that have the ability to throughout the time, like increase in value. But I think it's also a really good time to look at Manhattan proper and look at the developments that have maybe been on the market for some time because the negotiability right now that you're seeing in these projects is, is good. So if you have buyers that are looking for a deal, or if you have investors looking for a deal, the time is now. Interest rates are higher, which means that the general buyer, if you are looking to finance, has a lot less room and has a lot less affordability than they did, let's say, six months ago. So if you have cash and you're a developer, that's a really powerful negotiation tool right now to be able to pick up some, some incredible products. Um, because the rental market on the flip side of Manhattan has always sustained itself and is continuing to sustain itself. And it's not changing. It's not going down, right? Um, there is no availability in terms of rental. And that's not changing because we don't see new products coming out. So on the other hand, though, in, Manhattan, in Miami, there's... Cool. Can I, Wait,
3: the I just, Okay, yeah, go ahead. Jump I, I was gonna say just no, no. Just two other trends that we're seeing in the Manhattan market before we go over to the to the Miami market. Um, so especially this is a, this is great for investors. Um, as Lisa said, there's a lot of negotiability on the as a buyer, um, and so it creates these really interesting opportunities as an investor to do a bulk purchase. And so you have, um, particularly in new developments, um, you have a lot of shadow inventory and they they have these loans that they've been having to pay interest on. The developers been paying interest on these loans, you know, for many years, and they're trying to get rid of that inventory. So a bulk deal is very um, attractive to them. Now, with that bulk deal, as an investor, you can choose to decide how you want to use it. You can then buy them and then start renting them out because it's a really strong rental market. And you can immediately start lowering that basis and getting return on that investment. Or you can choose to flip them um, within the next whatever, you know, three, six, nine, twelve 12 months, if that's kind of more uh, in line with your investment strategy. So we're kind of seeing um, an, a really interesting opportunity there. And then the other one is that um, there's, a lot of talk, and I would say talk because I think that there's a huge opportunity to figure out the execution side, but talk on office to condo or office to apartment conversion. So there is a, a lot of vacant office space. Um, I think that the commercial market will come back, but not fully as it did before COVID, which creates new opportunities for the, for the use of that real estate. Now, you do have, of course, zoning, you do have a lot of um, regulation involved in this, but it does create um, a very, a new, interesting pocket of opportunity for investors. And if you can crack that and kind of identify opportunities for office to apartment conversion, I think that's a huge, that could be a huge win. So I think that's the kind of the other one that I'm seeing in New York. Um, And now, Alyssa, if you want to kind of speak to Miami.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have a lot of Miami and New Yorkers on our podcast, so you they'll be very yeah. happy to hear about this. Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, so that was two really good points, Erica. Um, going into Miami, completely different landscape. You have a new development being announced every week, but there's also a lot of different product types. So when you talk about investment, right, we're seeing two different type of investors in in South Florida. We're seeing like the New Yorker who wants a pied a terre. And is like you know what I don't think Miami's going anywhere I'm going there three four times a year at this point maybe more maybe six months of the year so let me pick up in you know upcoming neighborhoods especially right now I would say like Bay Harbor Island right is a neighborhood that has been untapped for a long time sleepy residential neighborhood incredible location nothing but upside value everything around you is extremely expensive especially if you look to surfside if you look to the four seasons if you look to the new projects in bell harbor you're talking about three thousand four thousand a foot which is you know it's manhattan crazy manhattan numbers but then you have this island that you're able to pick up units that you know still under a thousand a foot or under 13 1500 if the average in manhattan is still 17 there's still a lot of opportunity in miami although there is a lot of options for you right then if you're another type of investor, which like Eric was saying, a bulk buyer or a buyer that's purchasing, you know, that wants to pick up a couple of condos, like in these micro units, right? At projects all downtown where there's no limitation in your rental, that you can put it back in a rental pool and you just kind of want to like place your money in a safe place, set it and forget it. Then there's a lot of that opportunity too. Um, and in terms of negotiability, I, I am seeing the Miami market I am seeing more negotiability coming in on the resale side. You're seeing a lot of pricing corrections. I don't think it's an adjustment because I think that the basis overall in Miami has changed and it's a different level than it was, you know, pre 2020 pandemic. But you are still seeing that there is going to be room because again, there's so much product now, there's so much competition. So I wouldn't sleep on Miami. I would start looking at these projects. I would start seeing, you know, what neighborhoods are going to continue to expand, what neighborhoods are around them. And I pick up a unit or two. You can still purchase, for example, you know, at La you can pick up a three-bedroom unit, you know, under under three million dollars, three and a half, three to three and a half million dollar range, which is, you know, in Manhattan, pretty, pretty rare in a really good neighborhood. You could pick up a two-bedroom with a den for, you know, one and a half, which is a nice size. Two bedrooms, So like there's opportunity there, especially if you are coming from a Manhattan market um, and you're used to these amenitized buildings and and such.
0: Yeah. And so I know that this is the question of the hour. This is what all our women are going to want to know. Let's talk about marketing. So for marketing for something like this, what are some effective strategies and tactics that you use for marketing your real estate properties and your projects in today's competitive market you're in very competitive places and all my women say they can't get it they don't, they're they scared to get into the competitive zones because of this reason alone so what do you guys do that's effective you
2: can't give away
0: the, so no, give away the whole no don't give away the whole thing <laughs> <review>. yeah
3: <laughs> so so, so it's Yeah, no, it's, it's really, I mean, it's very understandable because in these competitive markets, I mean, you, the the reason that we're successful is because we've built out a toolkit for the entire buyer journey. So we really have gone from first impression through close. Um, So that's on, we've integrated across the advertising, all of the creative, um, all the web development the floor plans, uh, the floor plan design, um, that, then the actual sales gallery experience or the, the sales presentation, and then all the way through clothes. And the, the truth is, is that in order to be extremely successful in these markets, having control um, across that buyer journey is incredibly important because in order to be successful, you have to Identify what's working and double down on that and identify what's not working and pivot. And I think that the pivoting uh, is the most important part because markets change, buyers change, the, and also your inventory changes. So therefore, you have to be able to be agile and flexible enough to pivot, and then you have to have the resources and the tools um, to support that pivot. So I think that, like, I understand why it's really quite scary to go into a competitive market for that reason. In um, saying that, like, where do you, where do you start? Um, I think that one of the tips that we usually give uh, when we're talking about starting out is it's really important to test. So oftentimes, like, think, of, think about what's been successful in the past e-blasts are very successful, Um, you know, listing, listing ads are successful, but what is making them successful? So we recommend start testing, Um, testing different images in your, in your e-blast, testing different messages or headlines in your e-blast, different call to actions and seeing where are you getting response from? What's the quality of that response? You think it might be scary because you have to like do all this extra work, But really, you're creating a data set that you can learn from and that you can own. So I would say like that's kind of a good place to start. Um, In addition, like listing ads, that's a really easy place to test because oftentimes the thing that is drawing the most attention is the photos. So which photo are you showing first? Do you a lot of times we assume that the kitchen or the living room is going to be the photo that's going to attract the, the, the best buyer, but that's not necessarily true. Um, we actually ran, we were actually running a uh, project on the in alphabet city and we were doing testing. And originally we thought it was this beautiful. I mean, it's a gorgeous kitchen literally, <laughs> and it has this beautiful, huge window. So we had these photos of the living room and the kitchen and they were our main hero photos. We did testing and it was the bathroom that was really d- leading to the best and quali- most quality leads. And we were getting showings off the bathroom photo. That's so amazing. I think that's crazy. It yeah. so like crazy. <laughs> you want to think, think the we, we
2: went from having no showings, this is like a true story, to adjusting the e-blast and using the this bathroom photo in our ads, like our digital ads. And within a week, we had five showings lined up and we ended up with two offers from it. Like within a week of just like Erica saying, just getting creative and testing like different assumptions and then, you know, understanding your, you know, people send e-blasts, but they don't even check open rates or they don't check like what's working. So you can't do marketing anymore without at least looking at the data and seeing, okay, is this serving my purpose? Like, is this going to help with this sale or- you know,
0: advertising. I see that so much, even like with our students and our following It's they don't measure the results and they continue to do things that don't work anymore, or they haven't ever worked, but because they were told, this is what you should do. They don't test it for themselves in their market. So I really loved what you guys said, as far as testing and measuring those results and making sure. And if it's not working, you pivot And you find what does in that market. Every market is so different. I'm sure what you see in Miami, as far as marketing, it could be similar to New York, but it's also, there's different things that work. And I really liked that. It's measuring the results and testing. That's the most important thing you can do. And it's all trial. It's all trial until you figure Mm -hmm. out what works. I also would add, and this is something
2: that Erica and I can definitely, you know, attest to is don't be scared to try something different even if it seems out of the box right mm-hmm. like we get very creative it's something that our clients always are really grateful and appreciative that we don't that we're not stagnant like she's saying right that if we're seeing that it's not results so we come up with different ideas you know one thing one one campaign that i absolutely love that we ran that was completely different and out of the box is we decided to use um guerrilla marketing tactics for um a rental building that we were launching. And again, it was an educational, it was an educational campaign around location and around a specific address. And we decided to like the fashion houses to wrap the construction fences with this, you know, you go through the company, the permitting is all they call, but guerrilla marketing posters with QR codes and like really interesting, like funny ads that captured your attention. And what, you know, the call to action was to scan the QR code. So what that allowed us to do is number one, it allowed us to implement a different type of marketing tool that wasn't necessarily used in the real estate space. We were able to link it with the data capture in the digital space, and then use and apply those results to our leasing campaign, which resulted in you know basically the developer being extremely happy because he underwrote, let's say, at sixty-five a foot, and ended up at seventy-five a foot because of that, um, and lease the entire building in you know a short six weeks. So things like that, don't be scared. And if you think it's a crazy idea, but if you really believe it's going to work, try it or at least pitch it to the developer. There's so many times people say no to us so many times and you
0: just mm-hmm. I would say, you
2: can't be scared to hear. No, you have to just be like, okay, no, I sound like a little crazy, but like, trust me and then trust yourself and then do it.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I love that. That's amazing feedback.
3: Yeah. And, you know, with that, I think being creative, where that really comes from is being clear on what your problem to solve is. So it's not really being creative for creative sake, you know, it's really identifying and understanding what the problem to solve is. So, you know, with, um, with like what everything that we're saying with the testing and with measuring results, you know, that kind of comes back to, you can test you can measure anything that you want but if you're not at, if you're not looking at the right problem if you're not solving the right problem then again it's kind of it's kind of pointless it's 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 moot so when it comes to creative solutions a solution needs to be for the problem so being really clear with yourself on what is that problem to solve that's where we that's where all marketing should start and that's and then you can move into a creative solution for it. You can move into what am I testing? What are the results? How are those results actually getting me towards that solution for the problem? Or maybe it's like, oh, I was looking at the wrong problem. So now I'm gonna, I'm now I'm gonna rethink that.
1: Yeah. You kind of, can, <clears throat> excuse me, you kind of answered a lot of the questions I was going to ask you. So this is great. <laughs> <Not> and, uh, <laughs> so you're great. Um, I just want to reinforce one question a little bit. And uh, so, you know, this uh, real estate is a people's business, right? You're dealing with buyers, you're dealing with sellers, developers, you're dealing with professionals in the industry. So what is some of the tips and strategies that you can share to really build these relationships, to get the seller on board to work with you, to have the buyers respond to your marketing, to have the developers work with you? You know, What are some of the tips and strategies you Mm -hmm. think? that comes from your brand that is actually helping people to really, you know, gravitate towards you.
2: I'll start with this one. I've always said that authenticity is probably the first place to start. Okay. Um, it's easy as a salesperson, you build a brand, right? But if you are unable to create authentic, real relationships where people can trust you as their advisor, can trust you as their advocate, it's gonna be really hard to continue to build your book of business from an unauthentic place, right? So I, when I first started, we didn't have Instagram, believe it or not, I know like, we didn't. So you, <laughs> you know, back then, you had to truly um, create relationships with people by going to get a cup of coffee, right? By sending them birthday cards, by inviting them to dinner. Um, and that's how you created your contacts. That's how you created your network. That's how you started to build your brand with these real, real authentic um, you know, conversations and, and, and being in person with people. And with the evolution of Instagram and being able to create a virtual network, I think that still translates, right? So. Right what your brand is, what you bring to the table, what is your why, what are you serving? What, you know, what is your content that you're pushing out there? I think that that at, at this moment and in this market, it's extremely important to the success of whether people are going to pick up the phone and call you. Because again, forget about the development competition. In the real estate space, as a broker, as a marketer, the competition is, is beyond endless, right? There's Everybody knows a broker. Everyone has a cousin who's a broker, a sister, or this or that. So you have to be who stands out in the forefront of your your network's mind, and then also they're gonna to want to have to work with you. So like you should just be a cool person, right? <laughs> You're gonna be spending a lot of conversations in times with people, and also credibility. So on authenticity and credibility, you know, you shouldn't try. They say fake it till you make it. I don't really believe in that. I think that you have to have some kind of credible basis so that people can actually believe what you're saying and then and then trust you to move forward, you know, with the process.
0: No, I totally get that. That's amazing, amazing advice. And so we have a good network of women. We have women that are interested in all types of things. So tell me a little bit, what do you wish you would have known at the beginning that you now know?
3: Oh, good question.
0: It's one of our number one asked questions. What would you have done differently? Or what would you have wished you'd have known?
2: <laughs> I wouldn't know, know.
3: I yeah. I don't. I honestly don't know yet. I feel like we're we're still pretty early in our journey. <laughs> um. I and that like there's nothing that I would like look back and think I wish I had done that differently. Um. I don't know. I would say I would say one thing that was uh kind of so. I guess it's surprising that I definitely would just recommend um, is surround yourself with, with the right people. I think yeah. that, you know, who is, you know, who is your partner, who who is on your team? Like that ultimately is the, who are your clients? Like real estate is a people business. Um, that's it. And that's, that's the truth. Like, yes, we are selling and transacting on a product, but ultimately you know, the success of the transaction is based off of the people that are behind it. And so um, I would say that this is something that we kind of always knew. So I wouldn't say I wish I knew it. But it's something that we very much always believe in is that um, our people are our strength and our asset. Um, and Alyssa is my strength and asset. And I <laughs> believe I believe she thinks the same of me as me. So yeah. um, I wish I, I would have met, met her sooner. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm.
0: No, that's great. And so that's one very good also, because it's like kind of like my next question I was thinking is the three tips, right? So that's one amazing tip you can give is the people in your life, but what are tips of advice you could do three or what You feel is the most important that you have for women that want to succeed in real estate. We work with a lot of new people. We do have a lot of experience, but for new that are getting in, what are three tips that you would give out or two? Um, I would say
2: that, and I wish, okay, I wish I would have learned to be like this earlier in my career. I would, it took a a lot of meditation and uh, evolving to understand this, but in real estate, the highs are really high and the lows are really low. And because you are in an industry that there's a lot of external factors that you cannot control, sometimes you will feel like the most successful person. And then sometimes you feel like the most unsuccessful, you know, there's been times where I'm like, am I even good at this? Like, it? It will make you question yourself. And I think that if you learn to ride the waves and try to stay in an equilibrium and not you know, go too high or too low during those periods, it will allow you to have longevity in this career, in this industry, okay? Um, because it's rough sometimes. And there's nothing you could do. If it's a bad market, you are riding that wave until, uh, until it's not. Um, I would say that. And I know it sounds cheesy, but we always ask ourselves, and we ask ourselves this question, Erica and I, all the time what is our why? Like I mentioned that, you know, like, What is your why, and that why might evolve, but always go back to that. Go back to asking yourself, what is your why, and if it is driven by, you know, maybe money or external factors, like that may not be right for you. I think that in being in this industry, there has to be something bigger than just the monetary. While it's great, trust me, you can make great money, but there has to be something more than the monetary value because it's it's too much of a grind. It is it is. is a constant, constant grind. And no day
0: is the same. No, and I agree with that. I mean, honestly, at the end of the day, when you're making good money, there has to be another reason why you're doing this. It can't just be a monetary thing because you get to a point where the money's just not enough. So what is it that's going to keep you moving through all of that, through the ups and the downs and the constant grind? Yeah. Yeah.
3: I think for me, the advice I would I would give, um, this is actually something that I did early on. Like when I was starting out, um, like I said, w- this business, you are, you're choosing people, you're investing in people, you are you know, working with people. Like it's really, if you're pitching, the client is a person, they're choosing you, you're choosing them. Um, and ultimately when you're, when you're starting out, they're going to invest in you. If you can If you are thinking differently, or if you're providing a different strategy or a different way of doing things, so one of the really successful tactics I had starting out on the just on the marketing side was when I would go and pitch, I would say, "Hey, this is a project that you worked on, or that you are that you did in the past, or that you currently are doing, and here is how I would approach this differently." And it's a it's a very successful tactic in the sense of Showing them how you think, but also applying it to a problem that they're currently solving and that they understand. And so, I think you know, in terms of a, in terms of advice and a tip, um, I think it's incredibly important to go at every interactional relationship and think, what is their problem to solve? What are the things that they're worrying about, and how can I position myself in a way to be part of that solution, not to be creating more. Um, challenge or friction but to say hey like I, I can I can help you with this I can do this better I can do this cheaper I can give you more return on your investment I can you know I live in your world so I think that that's a that's another way especially when you're starting out I think that that's a really important uh tool to get really good at
1: great Well, wow. there's a lot of information that definitely you share with us here in the last uh, 30 40 minutes and, uh, and so I'm sure there's a lot more because you are at the verge of something really great here in the industry, right? You started this company together a couple of years ago. We have uh, gone leaps and bounds, especially when it comes to technology and AI and real estate and so forth and doing things different. So you are really things are kind of stagnant for a long time, but now they're taking leaps and bounds. So, how can our listeners keep up with you? Find out more about you, and also, you know, talk to you if they have any questions. Me, it's easy. My social media has
2: been my number. I don't even carry a business card at this point. I just say, here's my Instagram handle. Um, believe it or not, I respond to everyone's DM. I set up meetings all the time to talk with people. So, if anyone wants to talk to me, like. I, I, I might reschedule like once or twice. <laughs> it's crazy, but I promise I'll talk to you. Um, it's Alyssa Soto Brody. That is my Instagram handle. Um, and that's that's the number one way to personally reach me.
3: Um, I'm not big on social media. <laughs> so I'm really not. You can find me featured on Alyssa's Instagram. <laughs> um and no, I think also follow development marketing team, we definitely have a uh, at development marketing team we definitely have a lot of content there and then you can reach out to me by email Erica at devmarketingteam.com.:
1: Great okay well Liz do you have any final questions here. No, I think we covered most
0: of what we want to thank you guys so much for being on today. And I'm super excited to hear what the ladies think. I will make sure that we get all your social media into the bottom as well. Thank great. you so much great. for having us.
2: We're like honored to be here and we hope that, you know, if someone takes away a little something that helps them, like, then it's great. Nice. Thank you. Thank you.